quick announcement. Today at 5, we have a men's meeting. So all you men out there, little Tim Allen. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, some of you are old enough to remember that. His previous sitcom that was on, right? Yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. So 5 o'clock here. Um, men's meeting. We're going to have a great time. Um, if men step into their place, the family steps into its place. Amen. This is not excluding women. This is just saying men have a specific role that's important that's not toxic. Masculinity is not toxic. A synonymity is what came to my mind (laughs) to have little children, right? Uh, That's not toxic either. Everyone has a specific role to play. And so we want to raise up in this house men. And we want to raise up our sons to be men, and we want the men in the house to take. What it means to be a man is to take responsibility. Was that? God's men. God's men, yeah. Take up responsibility for the things he's given us uh, authority over. And so today at 5 o'clock, uh, be here. Father, thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. <clears throat> I just ask that you would say the things that we need to hear. God, you're doing something in this house. There's, there's, there's uh, activity taking place in the heavenly around here. And God, I just ask that you would increase that and that you would call us into our purpose and our destiny. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to uh, skip ahead here. Today, I want to talk about restoring the tent of David. And I'll probably take a couple of weeks to do this. Um, I don't know how how long it's going to to go about, but um, restoring the tent of David. I'm going to take my time. But the main thing is I don't want to preach a sermon. I may get into some historical things next week and just kind of create a good picture. But today I want to just, I want to see the atmosphere for what the Lord's been talking to me about for the last few months. And um, this, the, the, the tent of David. <clears throat> so what did the priesthood look like when Jesus uh, came onto the scene? Um, for those of you that know, that have studied any of this, there was about 400 years where there was no prophetic word from the Lord, and that was because Israel had lost the Ark of the Covenant. They had lost the Ark, like it had been stolen from them. And so they began to meet in synagogues and little small places and, and small churches around. around. And, and as they met in these synagogues, they would perform worship, but the, the roles and the duties of the priests begin to diminish, and you begin to see rabbis step up. So there was an increase of the rabbis. Is this thing working? No? Oh, sorry. All right. Well, I'll just do a little twinkle of my nose or a nod. <laughs> um, so so they, the, the rabbis begin to take the role of what the priesthood used to do. And so the shift became, instead of gathering around the presence of God, which is what they did when they went to the temple, was the ark of the presence was there. And they gathered around that presence. <sighs> they began to, to gather around the teaching of the law. And the rabbis or the teachers became prominent And so these teachers would rise up and they would gather leaders and followers. And many of them would rise up and say that they would be the next Messiah. And they turned out not to be the one. And so Jesus is dropped into this setting, this surrounding that was very, uh, it was not in the way God intended it. He wanted to make a dwelling place for his presence inside the heart of people. And Israel had lost the ark that had been stolen from them when they went into captivity. And they roamed around as nomads from place to place. And there was no home for him to dwell. And so then the rabbis rise up and it's all about learning the law, the teaching of the law, the 
um, uh, the Torah. They begin to memorize it and study it. And the, the, the role of the presence took less of a, a place of prominence in the church. All right. And I would say that we could say that that's similar to the day we live in right now. We, we uh, used to gather around the presence, right? We used to gather around the presence, and then the role of the teacher-preacher has begun to rise up. It's become very prominent in the church again. And it's, we've, we've lost this, we do ministry unto the Lord, and it's become ministry is done unto man. Like, the priesthood's job was not to minister to people. Did you, do you remember, do you notice that? The priest's job was to minister unto the Lord. And as they ministered unto the Lord, the Lord's presence would encounter the place and he would minister to the people. But when you take the presence of God out of it, then the teachers are there trying to fulfill the role of ministering to people and they were not adequately equipped to do that. And we're living in a day where we've stopped surrounding around the presence of God and worshiping and honoring Him and ministering unto Him until He falls in the place and then He ministers and meets the needs of the people. Now I want you to understand, we do minister to one another, but it's not our first ministry. Our first ministry is unto the Lord. And I'm going to say a lot of things today, and I'm not, I'm not talking bad about church culture. This is not what today's message is about. I don't want to speak bad of the bride. Like if one of you says something bad about my wife today, we would have a problem. Oh, yeah. Am I right, men? Yeah. Don't talk bad about my bride. Yeah. You don't get to do that. So I'm not talking bad about the bride. I'm saying we need to renegotiate our attention. Come on. We need to refocus and get back to ministering unto the Lord. We're in an epic time and an epic season. And an epic time means the, t the way in which God deals with people in a specific time or setting. That's what the word epic means. It's how God dealt with people in that specific time, in that specific setting. And you and I, we talked about it last week, we're living in the last days when Jesus is going to come back for his bride that's without spot, without wrinkle. But there's some things that are going to be restored in those last days. And one of them is the house of David, the tent of David. The worship unto the Lord, ministering unto God, it's going to be restored. And you and I are living in this epic time, in this epic season, to where we're going to usher in a focus back on we are here to bring honor and to minister unto God first and foremost. And out of our ministry to God comes our ministry to one another, instead of it being the other way around. Are you okay? Yeah. So if you want to open your Bibles... <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians, I'm going to have quite a few scriptures. I've th thrown them up here so you can read them. Some of them are translations that you may not carry, like this is in the Passion Translation. But it's uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. And it says, do you not realize that together, everyone say together. together. Now, I by myself am not the only dwelling place of God. But together, we are the dwelling place of God. And the reason that's important is because I cannot isolate myself by, uh, alone and, and pull myself aside and think that I can minister properly unto the Lord and properly follow Him. It requires together. We are the body of Christ. Amen. Fitly joined together. He says that he's, 
He's building us as precious stones and he's, he's putting us together and building a temple unto the Lord that he may dwell. So by myself, I'm not the singular dwelling place of God. God dwells in me, but together as God dwells in Shagun, he dwells in me. And when we come together, God dwells within us. It's important that we need each other. And so God is going to restore some things. And, and one of those things is the unity of, of the body of Christ. Now, Paul talked about this a lot. He says that I'm praying that you would, you would attain the unity of the Spirit. Everyone say unity of the Spirit. And that means where we are together in one mind, in one accord. And you know what happens when we come together in one mind, in one accord. The Holy Spirit shows up, right? And so that's what's happening here. He says, do you not realize that together you have become God's inner sanctuary? That the Spirit of God has made His permanent home in you. Come on. He does live in me. He lives in us. Amen? Now, if someone desecrates God's inner sanctuary, then God will desecrate him. For God's inner sanctuary is holy, and that is who you are. And we say, that's who I am. So as the sanctuary of God, together we are being made pure and holy, just like Jesus is pure and holy. Amen? There's another scripture I want to read just to set a foundation. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the spirit of holiness? He's like, hey guys, have you forgotten that the spirit of God, the spirit of holiness, which is the Holy Spirit, now lives inside of you? Come on, you don't belong to yourself any longer. For the gift of God. The Holy Spirit, He's the gift to us, right? The beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit lives inside our sanctuary, my sanctuary. He lives inside of me, amen? Amen. You were God's expensive purchase, paid for with tears and blood. So by all means, use your body for what purpose? To bring glory to God. There it is. He says, do not use your freedom to serve yourself. Do not use your love to love yourself, but to love others, to put others above ourselves, to serve one another. And what he's saying here is do not use the fact that the spirit of holiness lives inside of you to bring glory to yourself, but to bring glory back to God. Amen? Y'all okay? A couple more scriptures we'll read. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, To live like this is all the more urgent, for time is running out. And you know it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up. For our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Come on. Night's darkness is dissolving away as new day and destiny dawns. So we must once and for all strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness. Come on. Removing it like filthy clothes. And once and for all, we clothe ourselves. Yep. With the radiance of light as our weapon. Light is our weapon. We must live honorably, surrounded by the light of this new day, not in uh, darkness or drunkenness, debauchery, promiscuity, sensuality, not being argumentative or jealous of others. Instead, what does this say? Would you read this line here? Instead, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. And this says, don't even waste a moment's thought on your former identity. You're not the same person you used to be. Don't wait, waste another second on the old you. You're new. You're a new creation. And the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And He's making you pure and holy. And He's wanting to display His glorious riches in you. Come on. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Real quick and then we'll talk. 
Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, there's that word, Rabbi, teacher. They didn't call Jesus a priest here. Why? Because the culture was teacher. It was teacher. It was law. It was Torah. It was prophets. It was, it was the, the written word of God that was important. Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents? Which is why he was born blind. And Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That's what I want to grip our hearts today. While it is day, Shagun was on it. We don't want to waste the talents. We don't want to waste what God's given us. While it is day, I want to do the things he's called me to do. And then Jesus says, because the night is coming when no one can work. And then he gives us this beautiful promise. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And just for fun, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But what happened when Jesus left? He says, you are the light of the world. All right, what's the point for today? I want you to go on a journey with me, okay? Again, I'm painting a picture of how we need to correct. I'm not saying that these things are all negative, horrible things that we should point, and I don't want us to even think and point outside this room. Starts here, right? What's the point for today? We have replaced our value and pursuit for the presence of God with a pursuit for blessing. The modern church is after the hashtag blessing. That's what we're after. I need, I need my bills paid. I need a little extra. I need a little fun. I need the weight and the pressure off of my life. I need to live the blessed life. I don't want any bad things to happen to me. No sicknesses in my house. And all those are great things that God can do for us in his cho- choosing, right? But that's not the purpose. That's not why we love Jesus. So because we're after this like blessing, bless me kind of selfish Christianity, which is the modern world, we've gathered around preaching, we've gathered around teaching and musical shows. It's just what we've done. We've made church, we've made our expression to God that's supposed to be worship unto Him, we've made that the thing that we worship. It's really strange. Like, I love the music that we're writing and the, the, the movies and all the stuff that's coming out through the church right now. God's blessing the church and the creativity is beautiful right now. I'm all for it. I love it. But it can't be our first priority. It has to be unto the Lord. So these expressions, these songs that we write are out of our ministry unto God. And we celebrate together as a church and we, we do the lights and we do the worship. It gives us this opportunity to give an expression to God. But if he's not what we're gathering around, then we're worshiping the expression instead of the one who gave it to us. So it's not that those things are bad or evil or, oh, shame. We should just, we should just close all this stuff off and just meet in a room with just sunlight coming through the windows and, and just only pray. Like, no, that's not quite what the church is here to do. It's here to give an expression of our love to God. And it's here to show the world who God is. So I would love to see more great Christian TV shows and movies come out to show the world Jesus like The Chosen does and, and other great things that are coming out now. Like, this is Jesus, not the one you think he is. This is Jesus. But that is our expression. But when we make that the purpose and the goal, then everything we do is to serve that expression and we leave Jesus out of all of it. 
So what happens is we've lost the anointing and we've traded it for goosebumps and feel good and, and well, this many people came to the event so it must have been successful. And I would say there's only, the only thing that measures success is if the one person that matters came to the meeting. That's what measures success. And I want us to look here, like, are we really pursuing unto the Lord? Are we really here to minister unto God? Or have we fallen into the trap of chasing all the other things that are, 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 are expressions but aren't, aren't for Him? We've replaced the freedom and creativity of the Spirit with a form of godliness. It looks righteous, it looks spiritual, it looks good, but it's, it's not the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives. The Bible calls it a having a form of godliness, but denying the power, denying the power and the authority that God has. And we've traded His kingdom, capital K, the kingdom, come on, for one that fits neatly into our own little world. Jesus shows up and tells his disciples, leave everything and follow me. And, and most of them, when he told them that, they did. Some of them said, well, hold on. I got my world to take care of first. I need to go back and bury my parents, which, which meant I need my inheritance to go on this journey with you. I need a little money, a little walking around money, right? <laughs> and, some, and he's like, hey, if you, if you come towards me and follow me and then look back, you weren't fit for the kingdom. It's like, don't let anything have your heart more than, more than me. And then we have been dropped into this world right now where Christianity has left, has left that stern call to follow Jesus. That it actually will cost us everything to follow Jesus. It's not for free. Yeah, is this the truth? Salvation's free, but following Him, it costs us something. It does. Yeah. It costs us something. And if it, if it didn't cost us anything, it wouldn't be important or valuable. Uh, yeah. I, we have this talk with my sons all the time. I'm like, hey, guys, remember, if there's a lot of something, what will the price be of it? <laughs> Low. And so I'm telling we want to seek things that are rare. We want to pursue things that are righteous. If it's just all over the place and it's cheap and it's free, then it's not valuable. We want to seek valuable things. And so following Jesus is valuable. It's got to cost us something. But we've traded, we've traded uh, this big, wonderful kingdom for one that we can control. Oh, me, man. It's got to fit into our family schedule. It's got to fit into our time's restraints. One of the things that we've done, too, is for generations, the way that they worshiped God was that a priest, one time a year, listen to me, <laughs> one time a year, a priest, not everyone, just a priest, got to go into the Holy of Holies and stand before God once a year. And then he would come out and he would tell the people and minister to the people one time a year. But Jesus came and he ripped the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom. And he says, you have access anytime. Come on. Anytime, anywhere, you can have access to the throne room, the presence of God. Come on in. He made it. Everyone, men, women, slave, free. Come on. Everyone has access to Jesus. And what have we done? We've reduced it back to one day a week. 
to a couple of hours on a Sunday. We can come in here, we can encounter Jesus, and then we can go live our lives. And He has a big kingdom that He wants to pour into us. We've got to open our vessel. We've got to open our hearts. We've got to make room for Him. Amen? <clears throat> we'll go through this quick. Priests have been replaced with rabbis or teachers who are great at giving speeches and are great CEOs. The, the church has become a CEO, a corporation run by CEOs. The, it, it, again, we should do things excellently, but these things should be our expression of love to Jesus. It shouldn't be the main thing. Teachers, preachers, we've been enticed by fame, celebrity. Then we want people to say things that make us feel good, to tickle our ears, the Bible talks about. And Jesus didn't come to do any of that. He came to offend us. He came to offend our minds to reveal our hearts. We've made church about learning the Bible. You need to know the Bible, the scriptures. You should know these things. But we've stopped learning who the author was. Like, this book can't even contain Jesus. It tells about him. What was the writer that said, if all the books in all the world couldn't even contain all the good things that he did? But we walk around with this Bible and we think because we know it or we can quote a few scriptures and, and that's even gotten worse as we've gone through the years. Like we think that we, we know him and he's so much bigger than that. Yeah. Our worship is weighed against our convenience. How convenient is this thing for me? Our ministry has shifted from unto the Lord to unto man. Fear of the Lord has been replaced by the fear of man. Why am I saying this? Because, like, we're on a timer at Fire Life. You may not hear it ticking in your head every day, but I do. Like, as a matter of fact, I think uh, the fourth, two days from now, is our, our 59th birthday as a church, which is really cool. Next year, we're going to have our big 60 celebration. Like, I can't believe it. Like, it's been that long. But we've got another timer clicking in, our, in my head, too, in December. The Lord says, like, revival's coming. Like, okay, what does that even mean? I don't even know what it means. But I know that the Lord's trying to prepare our hearts for whatever it is. We've got a couple of months to make room for Him. And I don't know how, I don't know how He's going to show up. I don't know what that means. I know that revival always starts with repentance. I know the revival always starts with the restoration of the things he instituted first. First things being put back in first place. I know that. But the expression of what revival looks like, I don't know. I know there's some really crazy things the Lord's been talking to me about. Some crazy things that are going to happen personally for me, just that no one else will ever hear about. But I want the Lord to do that for you. I want the Lord to stir you up and stir the gifts of God inside of you up so much that when you leave this place, you feel charged up, ready to go, and you go into the workplace, you go to your homes, you go into your community, and you become the gate of heaven, the access point that your neighbors have into the kingdom of heaven. But if we're stuck doing this church thing because it was taught to us by our parents and it was taught to us by their parents and on and on. If we keep doing it this way, we're, we're going we're gonna to be on the fringe and we're going to have to catch up with what God's doing. See, there are, there are ministries taking place all over right now that are getting back to the house of David, to the tent of David. 
You may have heard of some of them. IHOP Kansas City is one of them that's pretty famous. They're 24-7 prayer, praise, worship, prophecy going on all the time. Upper Room right here in Dallas, they're doing the same thing. They're wanting to make a dwelling place for God to live. I want us to be part of this thing, a house of prayer. What did Jesus say when, when he drove the people out of the temple? You made this a den of thieves. My father said it would be a house of prayer. For who? All nations. Everyone say all nations. All nations. The nations are around us. Yeah. Can Fire Life be a house of prayer for all nations? All people of every background, of every religious background, of every creed? Come on. Could Fire Life become a house of prayer for all nations? That's what God's calling us to. A house of revival. Amen? So today, there's, there's some things we need to do. We're going to do these here in just a moment. Repent. That's always the best place to start with all of it. Yeah, like, like when, if God ever has a conversation with us, it should just be like, yes, yes, sir, you're right, I'm wrong. It doesn't matter how, how right I feel. Clearly, you're right and I'm wrong. Will you show me how to think the way you think? Will you show me how I'm wrong and you're right? Will you give me your mind? Will you give me the way you're thinking? We have to deny ourselves. Amen. Repentance is difficult, right? Real repentance is difficult. But I don't know if anything's more difficult than denying ourselves. Because from the time we were born, we're really good at getting our needs met. And it's, it's how you live. It's how you survive, right? So you're like, well, that's not a bad thing. It only becomes a bad thing when it becomes the only thing. It becomes the priority. Is how can I make sure that I'm safe and my needs are met? And, and denying ourselves is a really big deal. And I was, I was talking with Mandy. I was like, man, if we could just, if we could just like, repent and then get over ourselves, <laughs> everything would be better. Yeah. If we could just put God first and then get over ourselves, everything in life would just flow right. So we need to repent and deny ourselves and follow Jesus according to his rules. See, when he calls you to follow him, it may be a little different than how he calls me. You remember the rich young ruler came to him and says, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to be born again? He says, well, how are you doing? He's like, have you obeyed the law? Oh, yeah, I've obeyed the law since I was little. All of it. Well, well done. Good job. Um, what else do I need to do? Why don't you sell all of your riches and give them to the poor? Wait a second. <laughs> Stop. Stop right there. I worked really hard for this, right? It looked different than how he called other people. The way he calls you to follow him may have a, a, a unique expression to it that's different than mine. But we're still following him. And I want to honor how you follow him. I don't want to think everyone has to follow Jesus the same way I follow Jesus, because that would be a cult. It would be, it would be boring, and it would be completely false. Like, just look at Jesus' disciples. They were all so different. And somehow he got them to come together in unity. And so it may look different the way we follow Jesus, but, but the goal is for all of us to follow him according to the rules he gives me. There are some non-negotiable rules, but then there's those nuance rules that looks a little bit different. Amen? And then he wants us to restore the tent of David, ministry unto the Lord. I want to close with this scripture. I'm going to tell background before I, before I put it up there. So 
So King David is now finally the king of all of Israel, not just Judah. We'll get into some of this possibly next week. And his enemies are finally at peace with him, and he's not at war. He's not running for his life. He finally actually has a home, and he's finally in the palace. And he's kicked back one day, and he looks over at Nathan, and he says, Nathan, there's something wrong with this picture. Here I am living in this palace. It's beautiful. Yet God doesn't have a place to dwell. He goes, we need to build God a home. And Nathan said to him, this is 2 Samuel 7. Nathan said to him, King David, do everything that's in your heart. All right. So David has this encounter with the prophet. Man, it it feels wrong that my house is really nice and pretty and God doesn't have a home. That he's been going around and going from tent to tent and place to place. I want to build him a home. So that rises up in David's heart, right? Now look at this verse 5. So God tells Nathan the prophet, You go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me? To dwell in. And then God goes on and says, I've been nomadic. I've gone from place to place, from tent to tent. I've had no place to call home. Will you build me a home, David? So beautiful. I love their relationship. This is totally against all the rules that were previous. This David's like, yeah, I'll build you a house. And then God continues his prophecy. He goes, David, you're not going to be the one to finish the house. You've been a man of war. You've met a man of bloodshed. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to establish your throne forever. As a matter of fact, when the Messiah comes back, he's going to sit on the throne of David. But you're not going to be able to build the house for me. You're going to to attain the wealth. You're going to attain the supplies. You're going to make Israel a great nation, but your son will build me a house. And it'll be beautiful. And it'll be a place for me to dwell. But when I read that, man, it just, I hear the Lord asking us that. Fire life. Why don't you say your name out loud, Jared? (laughs) Will you build me a house to dwell in? Will you make room? So what's happening here is is there's the pressures being being intensified uh, all over the earth. (laughs) Right? Everywhere there's the pressure. The Bible says that it's the, the groanings, the birth pains. And it's actually all of creation longing for the sons and daughters of God to rise up and to reestablish this ministry unto the Lord. See, in the next, maybe in the next few weeks, we're going to look what that looks like. Like when I say well, minister unto God, how do I minister to God? He has everything he needs. Well, there are very specific things that David did that, that he instituted that we still do today in church as worship to God that David started. And there is this ministry unto God but it, it, comes, it comes to this, this, this place. Do I do everything unto the Lord? Do I live unto the Lord? Am I a husband unto the Lord? Am I a father as unto the Lord? Do I handle my finances, my home, my business, my health, everything? The Bible says whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it as unto the Lord. 
Now, when I take what is my responsibility that he's given me, my talent that he's given me according to my abilities, when I take that and I manage it and steward it as unto the Lord, it becomes worship. It becomes ministry to God. It's beautiful. He loves it. It makes it holy. It makes it righteous. When I do it unto the Lord with all of my heart, And at the same time, when I stop doing things that aren't ministry unto the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? Everything's going to look different and be different going forward. I just declare that right now, God. This house will look differently. It will minister to you differently going forward. There's going to be a shift. You're the one thing. Why don't we take just a moment and repent and come back to our first love? If you've never done this before, if you've never asked the Lord in your heart, it's just simple as turning to Him and saying, I believe you are the Son of God, and I know I need you. (laughs) But let's turn to Him. Let's come back to our first love. Our first ministry unto the Lord. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus at the center. Come on. Come on. God, forgive us for the mixture of the sacred and the holy and the secular. Forgive me, God, in my personal life for not doing everything as unto the Lord. We ask for revival, God, in everyone, in every heart here. Revive us. Breathe your breath back into us. Make us alive. Restore original purpose, God. Restore our first love, God. Fan the flame of our love, God, for you. Fan it. Jesus, you're the one thing.
Now we deny ourselves, God. Paul said, I crucify my flesh. God, we do that now. I crucify my flesh with its passions and desires. God, I ask that you would restore the self-control where we steward and manage our passions rather than them managing us. God, we give up our, our offenses. We give up our need to be right. We will follow you, Jesus. Why don't you tell him, I follow you, Jesus. I will follow you, Jesus. God, show us how we've stopped following you. Help us to get back on the path. Holy Spirit, reveal to us truth right now. close with one more thing and if you want prayer someone will meet you here at the front I want us to just begin to minister unto the Lord just turn your heart to him and love on him minister to him bless his name exalt him lift him up yeah we too Beautiful, Jesus. You're beautiful. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah, it's true. Every word about you is true. <laughs> Everything they say about you, you're even better than that. <laughs> faithful you're the worthy one <laughs> yeah Jesus you're worthy Just love on him. He, he doesn't need it. He wants it. 
the God of heaven and earth. At the sound of your voice, mountains shake. Fire goes before you, burns up all your enemies. You're a warrior, God. You're tender as well. Whisper of your name. Storms are calmed. Jesus, you're the lion, you're the lamb. <laughs> you're both. <laughs> you're the man of sorrows, and you're the one who has joy above all his companions. You're both. <laughs> Jesus, you're beautiful. You're also the one that was so beaten that people couldn't look at you. Jesus, you're the humble one who washed the feet of your disciples. But you're also the one with authority to forgive sins, <laughs> pardon iniquity. Holy Spirit, you're so creative. You're the teacher. You're the guide. <laughs> We worship you. stay here as long as you'd like to if you need prayer we want to meet here at the front but just continue to worship minister unto the Lord we're going to practice it we're going to get really good at it 